You're listening to DraftKings Network. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I mean, have you ever seen the Dancing Bear video? Are you talking about Lugens Dort? Or not Lou Dort. Who was the Dancing Bear? Was Ojale? Yabusale is what I'm thinking about. No. Or you're talking about a literal dancing bear. Maze, do you know what I'm talking about? The dancing bear video? Nikola Pekovic's bear? <laughs> what I'm talking about is several years ago, E-Bombs World or some shit, like early internet stuff. Free YouTube? <laughs> where there was a video where it says, can you count how many times this ball has passed? Oh, yeah. And it's like 10 people dancing around, passing the ball, and mm-hmm. you're supposed to count like, oh, there's one two, three, four. The answer is eight. And then at the end of the video, it says, did you notice the dancing bear? Mm, Yeah, I remember that one. You're totally transfixed by counting the passes that you don't even realize that there's just a bear costume dude just dancing in the middle of the whole thing. And that's what I thought of when I saw this Ben Simmons tape. Who's the dancing bear in this case? Because I could tell you, I didn't know what the clip was when it was first sent to me. And the first thing I zeroed in on is, oh, Ben Simmons. (laughs) I mean, whoa, (laughs) we've all done the little bullshit practice shot. I'm not saying you got to wet it every time, but come on, man. So I'm watching the video trying to parse what Kyrie's telling KD or what he's rapping or like trying to read his lips because everyone was like, oh my God, oh my God. I'm like, oh, what did he say? I swear to you, I watched it like Draymond Green. I watched it 15 times, maybe more. (laughs) Not even realizing that Ben Simmons just totally totally missed that jumper he's not safe even at practice in the park even just throwing up a (laughs) casual lazy shot it's at a community event they did it for the kids that's got to be tough the nets are back guys it's very very (laughs) exciting and Kyrie Irving wants us to erase everything that was said about the nets for the last few years in terms of our weaknesses we want to turn those into strengths Starts with developing good practice habits, going out in the game, not just talking about it and actually doing it. He's very excited. He just had a kid. He sounds very positive. Kyrie Irving is back. The Nets are back. I'm thrilled about it. So we get to erase everything that's happened the last few years. So does history start with that air ball? He said that on (laughs) Saturday. So yes, that air ball is one of the first things in our new history of the Nets. There it is. The Nets are back. He wasn't done talking either, guys. He said, I'm human. You got more? (laughs) We're human. A lot of us. Are human? Not just him. Have not necessarily played all the games that we would have wanted to. Oh, a lot of us. Why is that? Yeah. It's kind of like how he said that he gave up four years, a hundred and something million deciding to be unvaccinated. And that was the decision. I like that Kyrie Irving's trying to get us all to take a neuralizer. Here come the men in black. <laughs> Nets in black. Yeah. Nets in black. They won't let you remember. <laughs> Just bounce with me. Just airball with me. Just airball with me. Just slide. Just slide. My assignment. Uncover why the association inspires more conspiracy theories in volume and salience than any other U.S. sport. You've heard of the Illuminati. The truth is out there. 
but so are lies. Your eyes can deceive you, don't trust them. The NBA has always been controlled by about eight people. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. If you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. The NBA Illuminati. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? The Illuminati. But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. It is unspoken. They have influence among other players. The NBA Illuminati. I don't have time for your convenient ignorance. Maybe I'm a conspiracist now as well. That's but... all it took. Oh, we got books, we got schools. You saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> Why am I, sir? You've never used them before. We are the basketball Illuminati. <laughs> This is Basketball Illuminati. I am Tom Haberstroh, and as always, I'm joined by my five-star Illumin Army generals, the Illumination presidents. We're all equals here, Tom. <laughs> Co-presidents, co-managing this podcast, Minel Hassan, and our producer, Anthony Mays. I'm a producer, too. I mean, you're a producer. We're all in this together. We're all equals. And so are you, the soldiers, the citizens of Illumination. We want you to make sure you're following us on Twitter at B-Ball Illuminati. Go follow us there. Tell your friends. This is a movement. We've got some merch for you and some stuff we're, we're cooking up in the lab that we will reveal at some time in the near future. I'm excited for this. Why would we be cooking things in a lab? Wouldn't we be cooking it up in the kitchen? It's Beaker Month, I mean. <laughs> Beaker Month is back. Beaker Month on Basketball Illuminati. Is that Beaker? Yeah, that was Beaker on the Muppets, yes. Nailed it. So I kind of feel like this week we had about eight topics that we needed to hit. One after another, they got mowed down. Like, oh my God, there's a bigger story than that. A bigger one yet. Oh, we got to talk about this. I can't wait for everyone to listen to this episode. Later on, you're going to hear the return of our truth teller now at a new location at Yahoo Sports. Yahoo! That's Jake Fisher keeps his third eye open. Oh, He's going to join us yeah. to give us the insight boots on the ground account of an alien among us. We're also going to talk about a history of violence in the NBA because there's something that we just need to get to right now. You are listening to the agenda with Tom Haverstroh and Amin El-Hassan. week and a half ago, it was all good in Warrior Land. Everything was fine. The title defense was about to start. Got Big Jim back in the building. Things were looking up. Something happened? The report initially was that Shams and Anthony Slater at The Athletic was reporting an incident at practice where Draymond Green had forcefully struck Jordan Poole, they had to be separated. Practice resumed a short while later. I like how they said they had to be separated. <laughs> I believe Jordan Poole's soul was separated from his body. Ooh. Had to be separated. Pretty sure Draymond's right fist did the separating there. The funny thing is that Draymond knocked him out so clean 
the way it was described was like he got on top of him and started pummeling him. But when you watch the video, he's actually catching his lifeless body so it doesn't collapse. He's holding him up. I think he realizes almost instantly, oh shit, I, I think I hit him too hard. My favorite part of the video was, of course, Ron Adams. I mean, can you give the people no. a Ron Adams just backstory and why it's so funny that he just watched this happen mere inches away from getting clipped by Draymond Green's right hook and he just puts his hands on his hips. Ron Adams just not interested. Ron Adams has been an assistant coach in this league for a long time on a lot of different teams. He's seen a lot of shit. And so the sight of Draymond Superman punching Jordan Poole elicited a very lackadaisical hands on the hips <laughs> response from Ron Adams as he just looked on. And at the time I tweeted, Ron Adams looks like, well, that's Tuesday for you. <laughs> so nonchalant. And yet kind of accurately depicts the mood around a fight during practice in an NBA locker room, right? Fist fights happen and people don't really bat an eye. That's just part of it. It rarely happens unprovoked. Sometimes it is an even matchup and sometimes like that Jordan Poole video, it's not. The one thing I remember hearing before I saw the video was that it was described to me as he hit Jordan Poole abnormally hard. <laughs> Unusually hard. Unusually hard. Like he went way above what was necessary there. Above and beyond a regular punch. He tried to break his jaw. No, I think he tried to like destroy him. Dude, he went so hard. Just looking at the video, I know you can't get inside someone's head and try to ascertain, fellas, ascertain someone's intent and what they meant to do. But he hit him so hard that it is a miracle that he didn't just break his jaw. That's how I read it. He didn't Rudy T him, right? Like they didn't end up with a weird face for all time afterward. It was not a sucker punch. It was not a sucker punch. Yeah, this has been a heavily disputed classification here. What comprises a sucker punch? Maze, do you think it was a sucker punch? I do not because I think he was facing him. I think facing someone is a crucial element of the sucker punch even if it wasn't expected he saw it coming he pushed him to me there are two types of sucker punches type number one is we're in a larger fight i'm facing this way engaging with someone else you come from the blind side and hit me like what bobby wagner did to the fan who ran on the field during the rams game last week even though that the fan instigated that one little bit of jordan pool there little bit. Of course, but he didn't see it coming. Didn't see it. It was blindsided. Yeah, or Kermit watched it with Rudy Tomjanovich is a classic example because Rudy T was like trying to pull someone out of the scrum and Kermit Washington came from like the blindside and just, just knocked his ass out, right? Obliterated his face. That's one kind. The other kind is if you think of action movies and the hero is sneaking into the enemy compound and there's an armed guard and the hero comes up from behind him and he taps him on the shoulder and the guy turns around and then he punches him. That's a sucker punch because the guy didn't even know there was a fight happening and all of a sudden he's getting punched in the face, right? He didn't have a chance. And that guard is a sucker. Yes, he is a sucker, right? So as Tom points out, Jordan Poole shoves Draymond and then inexplicably lowers his guard and, you know, as if to say, well, now that that's settled, once you put your hands on someone 
who is emotionally, you know he's emotionally charged because he's barking in your face. Mm -hmm. You have to assume now combat is going to commence. And that doesn't necessarily mean that someone has to get punched. It doesn't mean that you've got to punch anybody, but it does mean you've got to be ready for a retaliation or a repercussion. And he wasn't, and it wasn't clear why, but not a sucker punch. Isn't it possible, I mean, that this has happened several times before with Jordan Poole and Draymond, and it hadn't come to blows? That, like, Jordan Poole has walked that line with Draymond, and Draymond did not strike him forcefully. So that would explain why Jordan Poole was like, yeah, I'm going to push him here, but it's never going to escalate to me getting sent to next week, right? The other part that tell is that when this is going on, everyone is collectively Ron Adams before the hit. I'm breaking news here. Most of the team did not see the punch until the video came out. This is a big element in this story, I feel like. Yes, because not the insinuation, but like, this is what happens in practice. You hear Draymond woofing. You think that's the first time he's done that? Absolutely not. So nope. guys are just like, whatever. And we're focused on the drill and we're focused on what's happening. And then you hear, ooh, or whatever happened over here. And you turn around and you see Draymond holding up, again, the flimsy, lifeless corpse of Jordan Poole. And then you're like, he hit him, but you don't know how he hit him. You don't know how hard he hit him. You just know that he hit him. And that's kind of one of the things that Steve Kerr's talking about when he's talking about the leak is the idea that if there's no video, it's easier to handle this internally. It's easier to manage this internally as opposed to now it's a spectacle and it's not something that can be kept in house. That's what we talked about with the Robert Sarver situation. I mean, there wasn't the tape. Mm -hmm. There wasn't the explicit evidence. It's mm -hmm. what happened with Ray Rice yep. that sent the NFL into a tizzy was the video footage the footage makes it different. It elevates it to a different level of situation. It does maze, but I think the bigger difference is those other two incidents, something untoward happened. Meaning, obviously, domestic violence, absolutely not. That's a class all of its own. What Robert Sarver was doing was not acceptable behavior by any standard, even by NBA team standards, right? And if it does happen, it is a serious issue. In this case, teammates fistfighting, and we'll get into it a little bit later in a segment that we like to call, I was blind, but now I see. We'll talk about some other high-profile incidents that have happened. It's not a rare occurrence. It's very likely that if that video didn't get leaked, Draymond would be definitely playing opening night. I don't know about that, Tom. I'm telling you, man, this is the weird part of this story. There's a lot of angles we could go here. Mm -hmm. But the fact that the video has come out and still there's no discipline, announced discipline from the team. There is discipline. He stepped away. He's stepping away, and the team is saying it's a mutual decision. He stepped away. There's no five-game suspension. There's no 10-game suspension. They have not levied or made it public that they are holding him accountable by suspending him five, 10 days. They are saying, Draymond, you handle this. Figure out what your discipline's going to be. The ball's in your court. You take care of this. And it's almost like a game of chicken. I wouldn't put it like that. I would put it as you need to go away from the team. And he's saying, yeah, I agree. I think I need to be away from the team because I have, and he mentioned this in his press conference, personal issues that he's dealing with outside of the team. And it is greatly negatively affecting his headspace. And 
the incident is tied in part to that, to his anxiety and stress coming from this outside thing. So they basically sent his ass home and he's like, yeah, I think I need to be away as well. But the messaging is different than the Warriors have suspended Draymond Green. For sure. Sure. And I will add, if there was no ring night, I think they come out with a hard five-game suspension, 10-game suspension. I think that's the big thing. The ring night is throwing a wrench in this whole thing because that's more than one game. If this happened a month from now, then I think you get a lot more defined, clear, go away for 10 games or whatever. Or something of that nature. I think Ring Knight absolutely complicates it because, you know, they understand that he's a big part of that championship and he deserves to get his recognition from the fans and his hardware on that night. So I want to ask you, Amin, what you thought of the Draymond press conference. I guess this is kind of a two-part question. What did you think of the fact that the video did leak? And then after, I'm sure you watched it, just, you know, watching yourself in that moment. Like, what did you think? Um... What did I think of the fact of the video leaking? If I'm being 100% honest, I thought it was bullshit. You know, uh, no, no other video leaks from practice. You know, uh, uh, when we're working on our sets, they don't leak. You know, when we're, um, you know, when, when I'm coaching everyone up, that doesn't leak. You know, so uh, I thought, I thought it was bullshit that the video leaked. Um, and saying that, what did I think of myself in the moment? I watched the video 15 times. Maybe more. Um, because when I watch the video, I'm looking at the video, I'm like, yo, this looks awful. Like, this looks even worse than I thought it was. It's pathetic. And then I had to take a step back, too, and realize that this video was actually released this way to look that way. You know? Um, for whoever released the video, I don't know who released the video. Um, I am very thankful to the Warriors organization for taking it as serious as they have and launching the investigation that they have. Um, because quite frankly, they don't have to. You know, they're not they're not obligated to, to launch an investigation um, for something that I did wrong. You know, they're they're not obligated to do that. So I appreciate uh, them taking that as serious as they have um, and are doing. But for whoever leaked the video. It did the same thing to me that it's intended to do to the world. Um, you know, it's an audioless video. Uh, it's a video that cuts to me walking right to him. You know, and so the video serves the purpose that it was supposed to serve. Um, and it had me in the same mind state of like, wow, this is terrible. This is awful. And by the way, it is terrible and it is awful. Like, just because of the way the video is cut up and it's, not released with audio and all those things. What I did was wrong. The thing that jumps out to me is how he's putting it out there that there was no audio on this, but I don't want to talk about that. He's trying to have it both ways where, <laughs> hey, guys, this leaked in a certain way. I'm not going to specify what I said or what the verbal altercation was or what was said before. I'm not going to go into what he told me or what I told him, but I just want to point out that this got leaked without audio. That does not seem like someone who's taking accountability for his actions. If it weren't such a serious topic, hell, even as a serious topic, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. <laughs> Me and Zach played, I think, every little bit of it on the radio this weekend. And we we're just laughing because how to mess up 
in 10 minutes starring Draymond Green. He says, there's no videos of me being a good teammate. They come out like, what are you talking about? First of all, oh, but when a video comes out of me assaulting another human being, that video gets out. Like, yeah, typically, typically, this is Zach's example. He's like, yeah, I don't see too many videos of people going to Starbucks, ordering a coffee, getting the coffee order right, and then walking away. And, and that's the end of the video. We don't see that because, yeah, that's what, what's expected to happen every day. Meanwhile, a woman going in, cursing out the staff because they're ethnically different or whatever. That's a video that gets shown. Why? Because something out of the ordinary happened. That reminds me, I mean, of Chris Rock's bit when he says, I take care of my kids. You're supposed to. You're supposed to. That felt very much like no one is releasing those tapes of you coaching up the other players because that's what you're supposed to do. That's what happens when you're a teammate and you're a captain and you're a veteran and a champion. You don't get credit for doing that thing that you're supposed to do. Here's the even crazier part though. Zach said this to me on Saturday night on air. And then I went to bed and Sunday morning I had to do radio again with Zach and we <laughs> talked about it again. And I said, you know, overnight I thought about this and I said, we talk about how Draymond's a great teammate all the time. It's the number one thing. And like, oh, he's so smart. Oh, look at him teaching Jonathan Kuminga on the sideline. Do this and do that. Best defender of this generation. We show him being particularly the education of his teammates. Talking to Wiseman and talking to Kuminga. We see this all the time. Yeah. We see this all the time. So even that statement, as ridiculous as it was, was also incorrect. <laughs> the video of Draymond like talking to KD in his face, coaching him up, and KD's nodding his head. One of the most famous. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That video got leaked, and it's shared amongst the world thousands of times over, but not quite as many times as Draymond Green watched the video. That was so bizarre. I watched the video 15 times, maybe more. What are you doing? You're reveling in you knocking out this dude and you're putting a number on it. I've watched it 15 times, maybe more. I mean, the form was amazing, Tom. You can't knock the stance, <laughs> the form, the reach. Maybe yeah. he's just trying to improve his boxing game. It's not hard, man. Did you watch the video? Yeah, I watched the video, man. I was mortified. I couldn't believe what I saw. I felt ashamed and embarrassed for myself, for my family, for the organization. And that's it, man. That's all you got to say. But it's like, yeah, I watched it 15 times. All I could think of was the clip from Menace to Society that Josiah Johnson posted of Lorenz Tate as O-Dog sitting and watching the security cam footage of him beating somebody's ass. Hey, hey check this out. Check this out. Yeah. That's exactly what I thought of when I heard Draymond say watch it 15 times. The other thing is, while I was aware of a report that it was about contract stuff, trash talk centered around contracts, and that's what set him off. Gotta follow the money, I mean. I'll be honest, I didn't think about it at all. And then I watched the press conference, and I'm watching him go for like two straight minutes. It's not about the contract. It had nothing to do with the contracts. Does some pocket watch and all that stuff, and I walked out of it thinking to myself, I kind of feel like this is about the contract. Yeah, it has to be. Oh, Draymond, thou doth protest too much. Way too much. Ridiculously too much. A leak, though, I feel like, I mean, this is more than punch gate. I feel like this is turning into leak gate. This is why it's so crucial. Uh, to keep things in-house. Um, you know, I've been in this league for 30 plus years. I've seen all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, when, when things are kept internally, um, it's really almost easy 
to handle them. It's just so much cleaner and smoother and you can move forward. Um, as soon as things are leaked, uh, you know, now uh, all hell breaks loose and that affects every single player, coach, but especially uh, the players. And um, so because of that, um, because everything is out there, the players are now having uh, to deal with all of this stuff. We're having to answer all these questions and uh, puts us in a very, very difficult spot, everybody in a difficult spot, because, um, you know, if uh, it's like if you had a camera in your family and there was a family dispute, would you really want to discuss it with the world? No, of course, of course not. You want to handle it internally. So that's always the goal. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, we've had leaks in this organization. This is not the first time. So that needs to be cleaned up. And that's a big part of the issue. If that is the bigger story. The thing that is incensing the organization more is that there's another leak happening, which has happened, as Steve Kerr said, multiple times with the organization. Most notably, people forget 2014 when Mark Jackson was fired mm -hmm. after that season, Joe Lacob firing him saying, it's hard to keep a coach when nobody in the 200 people organization likes you. About a month before Mark Jackson was let go, there was a secret recordings going on by his assistant coach, Darren Ehrman. The conversations that Mark Jackson was having with his coaching staff got out and Darren Ehrman was dismissed. Mark Jackson used the old D'Angelo Russell Snapchat situation to call out Darren Ehrman during a broadcast. You can't just let that go without team punishment in my mind. Oh, you're right. It's absolutely inexcusable what he did. I like the fact that he owned it. The good news for him is he very well one day could be an associate head coach in this league. <laughs> oh, there we go. Shots fired. And then they had the Andrew Wiggins thing from last year where his vaccination status was leaked. I believe the San Francisco Chronicle wrote a story about how Andrew Wiggins not getting vaccinated is going to be a big story. And they tried to keep that in-house, try to keep that private. I'm just wondering, Amin, do you think that there's something systemic about the Warriors that there are leaks happening? Or do you think it's the other case where people are picking at the Warriors so much that it's bound to be a leak somewhere? The Wiggins thing was a story that every news agency that covered the sport was after. We know that not every NBA player is getting vaccinated who are the guys who aren't getting vaccinated. So it does not surprise me that that got out at all. I don't think by today's standards of leaks, that was a leak. You know me, I'm of the belief that nothing should ever get out. Nothing should get out. It pains me to see these teams not only tolerate it, but engage in it willingly. Guys are actively picking up the phone and calling up newsbreakers to give them information as a part of exchange for other information, sometimes as a part of some sort of PR thing for the team, or sometimes as a personal PR thing. So that when people say, oh, one of the hottest names to not yet be a head coach, it's like, yeah, make sure my name is one of those names. This thing, this video, this is a leak by any standard because there is no personal gain here from anybody other than 
the guy who got paid by TMZ, which is another reason why I don't believe it's a video coordinator because the risk is way too great. It's too easy to track based on the angle. Internally, they'll find out immediately. They know. They know exactly based on the camera angle, which camera it was. For the people who don't know, I mean, you're speaking from experience here as a former video coordinator for the Suns. Yeah. There are cameras in the building that are the building security cameras that you'll see at, at a bank or any other place, right? There's a security control room and they can control those cameras in terms of zooming in and out and stuff like that. Then there are separate cameras on the practice court that are the video coordinator cameras. These cameras are set at specific angles because they want to capture half court play, full court play, the other half court, this basket here, et cetera, et cetera. And then they can cut video off of that. To my naked eye, having never seen their video set up, it looked like a security camera to me. Might be wrong, but I know that they'll know immediately based on the camera angle of the video where this came from. No video coordinator wants to be a video coordinator for life. You're there because eventually you want to be a coach or you want to be in the front office. It's the proving ground before you move on to one or two tracks. So the idea of someone jeopardizing a career in this league for 500 bucks or whatever it is that TMZ will pay you. I know video coordinators are broke. God knows I was broke for a very long time. You're not going to do it unless you're like, I quit. I don't want to do this shit anymore. And again, if you work for the Warriors, I'm guessing that's not the case. Meanwhile, security guards are often career security guards or security and they have a second job somewhere else or whatever. So the losing of your job as security at Chase Center is not going to preclude you from getting another job at the mall or wherever versus working in the industry where it's like your name gets out and that's it. You're excommunicado. I think the leak is so aggravating to Steve Kerr and the organization and Draymond the way that they have aggressively, I think it was reported by ESPN that they're aggressively investigating the leak. Whoever they find, they're going to put that person out to dry. Like they are going to make that person set an example. This is who it was. And they've been handled appropriately because these teams can't afford another one of these happening. Whatever stays in house, the trust within that group, that team, that organization, once that trust is lost, man, it's hard to have any conversations in that locker room. It's hard to have any sort of discussions on the plane or on the practice court or if something happens and they need everybody to be quiet. That trust, that bond that they had in that locker room, that's hard to bring back. And I think Kevon Looney talked about it. Draymond, he's, he's a veteran. He's been leader on his team for a reason. And, uh, he got some work to do to 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 get 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 that trust back from us, but I think he's willing to do it. So that's going to be at the heart of this Warriors championship defense, because now everyone in that locker room has a target on their back. And Draymond, for him to come back and play at the highest level, I think he needs to feel like everyone's got his back. And Jordan Poole, the same thing. I'm not concerned about Draymond. I'm concerned about Jordan Poole because without the camera, something like this can either lead to, I don't feel safe around this person. I don't want to be here. Get me out of here. Or it can lead to you, dude. I'm about to show you. I don't know which way it can go with him. It could go either way. The other part of it is after the leak, and this is what Steve Kerr's talking about, even after they move on as a group, the apology has been made. It is considered sincere. Amends have been made, et cetera, et cetera. And this is why I don't understand who could have leaked this. All you're doing is making this kid the butt of a joke forever forever 
it doesn't make Jordan look good in this. He's going to be the butt of this joke forever in the same way that Tyloo still has to hear about people saying Iverson stepped on him in the same way that people still bring up to Steve Kerr getting punched by Jordan in practice, Michael Jordan, not Jordan Poole. In the same way, Kobe had to hear about that Chris Childs two-piece forever. Jeff Van Gundy holding on to the leg of Alonzo Mourning. Once you see it, you're never going to let go. No pun intended. Word association. That's what people are going to think about for you. Ty Lue literally coached the greatest upset in the history of basketball. And you say Ty Lue and people, the first thing people think about is Allen Iverson stepping over him. So how does Jordan Poole adjust to that, adapt to that? That's going to be a question. Yeah, a lot of questions here about what it means for the Warriors going forward. You talked about your naked eye earlier. I mean, Mm -hmm. people have a lot of clothes on their eyes. Mm. They're blind. They're not able to see what's in front of them. Bundled like wintertime. We need to be naked here going forward. And that's why we're going to go through a history of violence. more than one person come to me and say, what if this is a good thing? This Draymond punch. Jordan Poole obviously doesn't want to get knocked out, doesn't want it to get leaked, doesn't want all of the drama associated with it, but he has looked awesome. Oh, he's played great. Yeah. And it got us thinking on this show. When this has happened before, that a practice fight has been either reported on or been subject to a suspension that comes out. What happened afterwards? We all want to know what this means for the Warriors. Well, we can use history as a guide. We don't have to look very far in this story. Amin and Maze, 1995, Steve Kerr and Michael Jordan. We've all heard about the punch and you and Michael, you know, in a real intense practice. That seemed to me, Steve, to be something that it turned out to be a good thing. I mean, is that is that out of line to say, you know, when you and Michael got into it in a practice that it helped him and it maybe it helped your relationship? I would say it definitely helped our relationship. And that probably sounds really weird. Um, I wouldn't recommend that for, to anybody at yes. home. <laughs> a black eye is not is no way to take a not, step not always yeah. not always yeah. a way to 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 you know mend uh, mend fences. I, I think that it has to be uh, understood in the context of intense competition. Practices were really intense, and it w- they were a huge part of uh, the Bulls and Michael setting a standard for our play. And so practice fights, not only on that team, there were probably three of them during the year on that team. On every team that I played on late 80s, early 90s, there were a few practice fights. There was just a lot of competition, and things would get out of hand. And then it just, you know, it wasn't really a huge deal in, in the grand scheme of things. But um, for me, in that case, Michael was definitely testing me and, and I responded and I feel like I kind of passed the test and he trusted me more afterwards. So after that, the Bulls go on to have the record breaking 70 win season. They win the 1996 title and throughout their tenure together, Steve Kerr and Michael Jordan were 191 and 40 when they played together. Yeah, Steve Kerr had a lot to do with that. There was a (laughs) trust that was bonded there, particularly in the 97 and 98 finals. Remember, he would look for Steve Kerr. There's a famous clip of him saying, dribble right here, and when they collapse, I'll find you. And Steve Kerr saying, I'll be ready. I don't know if the punch 
made that happen, but I can say that the punch definitely did not damage their relationship or the team dynamic afterward. It didn't break the team. Yeah, it didn't break the team. Next on the list, this is a mix between I was blind and doing my own research. 1998 lockout year, Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant are playing an off-season pickup game Mm -hmm. at Southwest College. Samaki Walker's playing, Olden Polonese is playing. All the names are there. Here's what Kobe Bryant had to say about it to Shaq. I think I can remember the the, the first time we had our first fight um, and you looked and said, okay, this is crazy. I did say that. Yeah, I did. (laughs) We're on opposite teams. Right. And trash talking. Yes. And you kept saying, yeah, take that little, take that little. I'm like, I'm looking around. Oh, me. Yes. <laughs> right? And yeah. I said, well, hold on. Ain't going to be too many more of those little, you know. Yeah, I remember that. And what'd you say? Well, what you going to do about it? Uh, what you going to do about it? And then that's the next thing I knew. I saw a big hand coming this way. And I remember going this way. <laughs> and I remember throwing some lollipop. Golden <laughs> Polonies came and caught. <laughs> and then they all just kind of broke us apart, broke yeah. us up. I'm looking at this and I'm saying, man, he wants this thing. He's, it's it, it affects him, right? I mean, he, he's it consumes him, and then from that moment on, I knew we spoke the same language. It doesn't matter if we had disagreements with any other. Our drive to win, like we have to win. There's there's no other option. Uh, we're going to figure this out. We're going to get this done, and, uh, and we did it. And to Jimmy Kimmel, who threw the first punch in that fist? Oh, he did. He did. Yeah. I can't, couldn't reach him. He was like, you know, guys. yeah. <laughs> But I, like, I mean, I saw this big fist. I mean, the fist is like literally this big. Like, <laughs> during the interview, I, mean, I pick up his hand. I'm looking at the size of his hand. And I'm going, I must have been the craziest 19-year-old in the world yeah, to right. fight this guy, man. But it was just, no it just is what it is. So he threw a punch, like a real punch. Yeah, yeah, he threw you. a punch. I had to slip it. Uh-huh. And then I threw one back. And then everybody jumped in and just broke it apart. I wouldn't have jumped anywhere near yeah. that. I but, mean, no, listen. <laughs> you know, at that point, you just got to say, look, man, either you're going to beat the hell out of me, but one, you know, you're going to know. That you're not going to back down. Yeah, I'm not going back down. When the lockout happens, the actual Lakers that year didn't win it. Kobe was like 19. So that three-peat was yet to come. But I feel like it might have helped things. This is a little bit of an outlier because this isn't a case of tempers flaring in practice. Rather, this is a case of two guys who had a constant tension between one another. You know, I just got done watching Legacy, which is the Hulu docuseries about the Lakers. And just got through the Shaq and Kobe years. There are multiple times we're talking about fights and things of that nature and barbs traded through the press. Even though clearly that 1998 fight did not fracture the team, they went on to win three championships a year and a half later. At the same time, I think you can say that even if it had, it was not because of the one fight in practice, it's because these two guys didn't like each other. And then there's 2000. Kevin Garnett, KG, and Wally Zerbiak. Maze, how's your Jackie McMullen impersonation? The tension boiled over during a November 2000 practice when Zerbiak reportedly got picked off and chided Garnett to call out the screens. KG responded curtly, play some defense. The pickoff seemingly a consequence for whatever expectations Zerbiak wasn't meeting defensively. 
Serbiak took exception. It accelerated into a shouting match, which spilled into the training room. Punches were thrown. Asked Serbiak about it today, and he says he was simply a young player trying to stick up for himself. I felt like I had some leadership qualities, he says. I'm not a guy who will take a backseat all the time, and in certain scenarios, I'm going to speak up for what's right. At times, it definitely got me in trouble. <laughs> Worth noting, the fact that Serbiak and Garnett played six-plus seasons together and were teammates in the 2002 All-Star Game. We figured it out, Serbiak says. This, I think, might be the closest example where you've got a veteran who is notoriously very fiery and animated and a young player who has some pride about him. Yeah, KG, I feel like his fiery nature, I would say Draymond is like the modern day KG. Right. Always in your face, defensive mastermind, genius, who's a big man but passes like a point guard, can handle the ball. Not to say that Draymond is KG, but this is an excellent comp here. Now, KG was 24 at the time and Wally was 23. In age, they are not veteran, young player dynamic, but KG had been in the league for several years at this point. He was in his fifth or sixth season and Wally was second year player? Second year player. Yep. And third year in the league, all-star. Was it because they punched each other in practice? I don't know, but it didn't break him. That's the other part. It sounds like Wally was throwing as much as he was taken. And I don't know if Jordan Poole was doing that. Also, while Kevin Garnett certainly has the height and the reach, he is a slender guy. And Wally is rather thick in a good way, like a very sturdy young man. Thick Wally. Versus Jordan Poole, who is slender and short, and Draymond Green, who is not that much taller than him, but obviously outweighs him by a good 50 pounds or whatever it is. 2003, I mean, Ruben Patterson and Zebo. Zach Randolph on the Jailblazers. This is the most interesting one. So practice late March, 2002-2003 season. Contel Woods fighting Patterson. Zebo comes in and tries to get in the middle of it and punches Patterson right in the face. And I think it was a fractured, like broke his eye socket. The orbital, yep. And according to our friend, Jonathan Abrams, who is at the New York Times now, my guy, Zach Randolph hid at his teammate's house, Dale Davis's house, for the next few days because he was scared for his life. Now, why would he be scared for his life with Reuben Patterson? Reuben Patterson, in a word, is crazy. Wow, the crazy guy got punched in this situation. Interesting. Zebo gets fined $100,000, suspended for two games. What happens after the suspension? They actually did okay. I mean, they lost in the first round to the Dallas Mavericks, but they did push them to seven games. They were the number six seed and Dallas was number three. Next one on the list, maybe not the most interesting, but this was a serial altercation. Brendan Haywood and Eton Thomas with the Washington Wizards. Yeah. This is one that was like years long. Right. Fights just breaking out in practice nonstop. Did this come to mind immediately for you? I mean, when we were kind of going back in history about fights, was this one like, oh yeah, I kind of remember that one. When you mentioned it, I remember, but I also remember what you just said, which was, it was not a one-off. This was again, two guys who played the same position, even though Brendan Haywood is a lot taller than Ethan Thomas. So there was direct competition. Also, I don't think they liked each other very much. So again, it makes it a little different from the situation in Golden State because this wasn't a one-off thing. These two guys had beef with one another. Could have got Brendan Haywood on. Well, I could have gotten you on for this one. 2008, Shaquille O'Neal and Gordon Girichek. Oh, all right. So this is another example 
of smaller guy talking shit to bigger guy. <laughs> the biggest guy. Gather round, folks. Gordon Giracek <laughs> is equal parts shit talker and foreigner who does not fully grasp everything. There is some culture clash there, let's just say, like a, a misunderstanding of cultures. And so what happens is he's talking and Shaq says, if you keep talking, I'm going to knock you out. And he kept talking. I don't think he understood what Shaq meant. So Shaq came up behind him, put him in the sleeper hold. Which Shaq, you never know when he was joking around yep. and when he was serious. And so we all thought they were all just messing around. Like, oh, shut up, Gordon, or whatever. But no, he wasn't joking. He put him in that chokehold. And next thing you know, Buddy was passed out, laid out on the floor. And we're like, oh, shit. And then Coach walks in and is like, what the f*** are you guys doing? We got a game in like 18 minutes. That was the last season of his career. Yeah. He was out after that. He never played in the NBA after that. Sounds like Gordon should have gear checked himself before he gear erect himself. Wow. <laughs> 2009 Gilbert Arenas and Javaris Crittenton. Huge asterisk on that one. Yeah. There's a lot here on this one. It wasn't an actual like punches thrown altercation. It was a guns's thrown on the table situation. On the chair. Don't think it helped the Wizards in the long run. Yeah. I would have to agree with you on that one, Tom. So there's a really interesting Action Network story about this feature interview with Gilbert Arenas. I mean, I didn't quite realize that this is what Gilbert claims. Players would keep guns in their locker as a safety thing. Like that's the safest place because his team security's there and it's away from your house and kids and it's not at the club. You keep your guns in your locker. And I was like, man, that is... That is wild. As someone who's edited the team and player handbook, I can assure you that anyone doing that was doing that without the knowledge of the team. He might be right. I'm not here to doubt his testimony or his story, but that was not procedure at all. Okay. You are forbidden from having firearms anywhere in an NBA arena, practice facility, on the bus, in the hotel. Anytime you're on NBA business, you're not allowed to have firearms on you believe that the safest place for a gun is a gun safe also why would you have the gun then uh, you know what just read the story it's Gilbert arenas ladies and gentlemen how many times we got to tell you <laughs> hibachi i mean what percentage of the pizza pie would you say these fights happen because of gambling debts or card games gone wrong oh a lot women maybe money women money 2011 oj mayo and tony allen that one's a classic one oj said some shit that Tony Allen basically hauled off him. But it's something like, like, I think he told me he didn't have to pay him. Ryan got to do shit. What are you going to do about it? Or some, some shit like that. Which, if you know Tony Allen, that's probably the absolute worst thing you could say. You're better off saying, I ain't got it. This is probably the best example of it helping the team. Tony Allen punching OJ Mayo on a flight in mid-January over a Boure game where he had to pay up. And then OJ Mayo and Tony Allen got into it on the flight. Tony Allen started in his place the next game after he got suspended. Well, I guess we shouldn't say suspended because the team had him out due to bronchitis. Got punched in the throat, I guess. <laughs> Grizzlies win the next game. At the time of the fight, they were 15 and 19. They went 31 and 17 over the rest of the season, which was actually better than the big three Miami Heat or that stretch. They're over under that Memphis Grizzlies team, 38 and a half, and they hit the over at 46. Not only that, they upset the number one seed San Antonio Spurs in the first round. And then the one that people talk about most recently, that is the comp for this Draymond Green, Jordan Poole thing is Miritich and Bobby Portis. 
2017. That's one I don't know the details too, other than Bobby Porter's hit him really hard in the face and Mirtich not long thereafter decided, eh, I'd rather play in Europe. To this day, Bobby Portis says he was doing it in self-defense. Self-defense, yeah. Yes, he got suspended eight games by the Chicago Bulls in the preseason of the 2017 year, two days before the season opener. Mirtich had it coming, basically. Because he was in Bobby Portis's face and they were jawing at each other and he might have been swinging at Portis and Portis just the game ender, the haymaker mm. breaks Miritich's face and Miritich was out for two months. And breaks his NBA dreams too. <laughs> What's interesting about this is right after they got Miritich back, they went on a seven game win streak right after a 10 game losing streak. They hit their over on the season. They're better than expected. If there is an example of a team having this incident and it was ugly and there were suspensions and broken faces, they got over it and they continued. However, Miritich, that next year, he was out of the league. He just went to FC Barcelona and won EuroLeague MVP. So I think he's doing okay. Overall, I think we can say these fights, at the very least, do not seem to bleed into destroying the team or hampering their productivity. But also, besides the Steve Kerr-Jordan one, We've never had one on such a high-profile team with championship aspirations. That we know of. And we've prefaced this, and this is kind of like the insider move. Flex is like, I know so many fights behind closed doors that never saw the light of day. These are just the ones that did see the light of day, either by suspension or because people leaked it out, right? Covering the Miami Heat, there was a lot more drama behind the scenes during the Big Three era than what the public knows about. We saw the bump, the shoulder bump from LeBron James, bump gate, as it was called, with Spo. There were spats between Spo and Dwayne Wade, but I'll always tell you this, when Jimmy Butler and Spo went at it, turn the season around. Yep. Turn the season around. And I kind of feel like that might be happening here with the Jordan Poole, Draymond situation. Feel really bad for Jordan Poole, but I honestly think that Draymond's overcompensating with the, hey, it wasn't about money. It wasn't about money. I promise you it wasn't about money. By the way, it was not about the contract situation this kind of gets things out there and they talk about it and address it and they'll try to move on. So, you know what? I'm just going to say it. Warriors winning 70 this year. All right. Enough chatter about fights, Tom. I want to talk about aliens. They're real. I thought you were going to be like, eh, I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover of aliens. <laughs> Let's talk to Jake Fisher and Jake Fisher aliens, hats, hand gestures, Jake Fisher. Truth teller, returning to the show right after this. You all think I'm licked. Well, I'm not licked. And I'm going to stay right here and fight for this lost cause, even if this room gets filled with lies like these. And the tailors and all their armies come marching into this place. Somebody will listen to me. There's no better way to overpower a trickle of doubt than with a flood of naked truth. But the complexity and the gray lie not in the truth. But what you do with the truth once you have it. What is true and right is true and right for all. You and I both know that that's just not the truth. You can't handle the truth! It's too messy. It keeps them up nights. I'm here because in the end, the truth is worth the risk. Speak a little truth and people lose their minds. I'm a grown man. You can tell me the truth. Why is it people who want the truth never believe it when they hear it? So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something really outrageous. I'm going to tell the truth. Jake, I feel like there was nothing possible 
that could tower over Wembenyama and Scoot Henderson in Nevada. That whole game, that whole experience, we all saw an alien. We all saw it, the UFO. The government has already confirmed that there are UFOs, and we just saw one in Victor Wembenyama. I got a glimpse on video. I wasn't there in person. You were there. You were boots on the ground. You got to see up close and personal an alien in the flesh. Tell me about it. I was there. I defied the wishes of my mother and flew the morning of Yom Kippur to Las Vegas <laughs> on a fasted stomach. <laughs> wow. Because when an alien is touching ground on American soil, it's a historic moment. If you have an opportunity to go, as I was fortunate enough to do so thanks to the expense account of Yahoo Sports, Yahoo! I had to be there. Honestly, it exceeded the massively high expectations that... I mean, every step that this kid takes, I think people are starting to get more and more excited. I mean, there are over 200 scouts there. People were salivating courtside. And honestly, as I wrote on Monday, I was even more taken by who he was as a person <laughs> combined with what we saw. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I'm serious, man. This dude's seven. By the way, do we know how tall this dude is? You're a reporter, gumshoe reporter. No one knows. No one knows. That to me is the most terrifying slash interesting part that everywhere, every outlet, every time someone talks about this guy, we get a different height. 7'3", 7'4", 7'5", 7'6". How big is he? So I saw him standing next to Rudy, which ironically enough, when I was doing research for my book, Rudy had a similar thing. There was talk that he was 7'4", and then he measured at 7'1". When you get over that 7-foot threshold, you know, if we keep our third eye open here, KD doesn't want to be 7-foot, right? He wants to be under that. Kevin Garnett. Exactly. The 6'12 man himself. So I think what will be is the lottery will happen. And I can tell you this, I already put my official request to be in the lottery room <laughs> come May 2023 because that room is not very exciting. But it will be whenever the exact date is this year. And whichever team does come away with the lucky four ping pong ball combination to get the number one pick, I can tell you now, it will be the only team that get visited by Victor Wembanyama, <laughs> And maybe we'll get an official height at that point in time. Because he is only 18. Like, maybe he is still growing. Like, who knows? Yeah. He's something that we've never seen before. He's the total package and then some. I don't want to be too hyperbolic, but... There's no doubt in my mind this kid will be the number one pick in the 2023 NBA draft. You wrote a story for Yahoo Sports, and you spent like three paragraphs analyzing his hand gestures. I'm not sure what to do with my hands. Uh, be good just to hold him down by okay. your side. Yeah, great. You were citing academic papers and studies about the value of... I'm doing this right now in the Zoom. Yeah. I am moving my hands because I have a hand gesture expert on the other end of this call when Victor Wembenyama is on the floor, he can take these step back three pointers. He can fade away into the corner. He can do the dream shake on the baseline. He can run fast breaks. He can block three point shots from inside the paint. But the thing that jumps out to you most, he's a hand talker. Listen, a lot of times in reporting, when you're profiling people, you get 20 minutes, maybe even less to understand a person's life story and then have the responsibility to then tell that life story to the world. It's a pretty impossible task, right? So in that space, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I've come to learn that you have to hyper-analyze tendencies, inflections, and how people say things. 
in order to try to figure out what's happening between the years. I spent a lot of time covering the draft over my career. A lot of these kids at 18, 19 years old are either super brash and think they're the man and are happy to tell you they're the man, or they're the opposite. They're kind of quiet and reserved. When I met Scoot Henderson at All-Star Weekend in Cleveland, I met him and his family right after his big meeting with Puma for his whole sneaker deal. He was super quiet and reserved. Not that it's a bad thing, but I was so struck by Victor and how he's both humble in his confidence, but the fact that, of course, he's the greatest prospect. He's seven foot four. He knows what we're all seeing. Wait, wait. Did you say he's seven four? Oh, 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 there it is. Did you confirm just now? No. <laughs> I don't know the exact height. Okay. But at his gargantuan size, with his lucid skill, of course, he's a game breaker. Of course, he's thinking about things in ways, how can I be the best player ever? And as I've learned covering the league, especially looking at things through the lens of team building and, and building through the draft, it's very important that the guy you build around is someone like Giannis or someone like Steph or someone like Tim Duncan, who is him. Everyone knows he's him. He knows he's him. But he's also very good at communicating to everyone I'm him, but also you can be my Robin and you can be Avengers 2 through 30 because I'm number one, but I also know that I can't do it alone. And that to me is what has been more impressive than the stuff on the court because we knew the stuff on the court. You saw the YouTube video. You can watch it from home, like you said, Tom, but to actually sit across the table from him and to see the type of mentality that he's bringing to this game of chess that's 20 years long and has pieces from other board games on it that we don't necessarily even know the rules <laughs> in order to put together this crazy calculation that equals an NBA championship. He has something special between the ears that I think isn't really getting talked about enough. Jake, what's the downside? The downside is obviously a lot of people at that size have not been able to put together a wire to wire career without devastating injury, either setbacks or hurdles they've had to overcome. You know, Joel Embiid's Joel Embiid, but obviously he very famously lost his first two years basically to different injuries. We've seen Kristaps Porzingis have inconsistent stretches of being dominant. And then I remember in the bubble, him and Luca looked like they were going to be a big man, little man pairing for the next five years together. He has a little meniscus injury. All of a sudden, he's one of the worst defensive players by metrics. All last season, he shipped out the door to Washington. You know, Yao Ming with his foot. That's kind of the one thing people say. If he stays healthy, if he stays healthy, he still obviously has to build out his body. But compare him to Chet Holmgren of last year, Victor's already got some type of muscle mass. I'm not a doctor or someone who can project what these guys will grow at bodily-wise, but you can tell that he already has that type of physicality and strength that you've seen guys like Giannis build up. And I also think that he has showcased perimeter skill sets of, you know, the likes of Kevin Durant that we didn't see really from Chet. Sure, he has that highlight video crossing up Steph Curry in a pro-am and everyone's like, oh, Chet's a super mobile ball handler guy on the perimeter. But I think the floor is just so high for him that even if the body doesn't develop and he's not punishing people like Giannis, he could become I mean, no one's blocking his shot. He's got the step back and off the dribble, you know, array from all over the court. We saw the shimmy fade away on the baseline. He's already doing it now. So as long as he does stay healthy, it should all work. So that's the big if. The if is the health. So you wrote the book, 
Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Thank you for the plug. Go pick it up. Great book. And I want to peel back the curtain a little bit here. These decisions about tanking, they probably aren't being described as tanking within front offices or coaches. Like communicating, hey, we're going to try to lose as many games this year. They have to be very delicate about this. But what are some of the conversations you expect to happen in front offices right now across the league ever since the Wembenyama showcase happened last week? What do you expect to happen? I finally had a couple of days where I wasn't traveling this week, got back at my desk that I'm recording this on right now and just called people and been asking one question of who could be a stealth team that things don't work out and they immediately start to tank. And people are already calling out Charlotte. Yep. People are mentioning Washington and Portland. It was one of those people that called out Charlotte, Tom Haverstrow. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was not. No, it was not. He called it out to me. So I was just wondering if you got the same message I uh, did, Jake. That's all. Look, is this another leak gate of Illuminati here? Are you leaking <laughs> something out publicly that should yeah. be contained in-house? Not enough people in our organization to hide this leak. It's pretty obvious where it's coming from here. <laughs> Jake, I think what's interesting to me is people who are like, Portland's not doing that again. Man, it's not about telling Damian Lillard, we're going to lose. It's that if Dame has an injury or something that's bothering him or his core is still not right or a hundred percent, we saw LaMelo ball turn his ankle in a preseason game. They're already shutting him down for the preseason finale. Mm -hmm. This is how I think it happens. Exactly. Is that a injury to the superstar Hmm. and LaMelo ball is the superstar to this organization. They're going to take the long view and say, like, look, we don't want to risk it. It's called the old David Robinson. Yes. Oh, wow. He's hurt. Well, I guess that season shot. I was like, coach, I feel great. No, no, no. no. You're hurt. (laughs) Trust me. You're hurt on this. Matter of fact, I'm firing the coach. (laughs) I'm a coach now. (laughs) And 20 years later, they'll call me the best who ever did it. That's exactly what I was getting at. There's going to be an injury that happens. Unfortunately, knock on wood, that just is what it is. This is the NBA. It is a competitive sport where you throw your body on the line and you get hurt sometimes. And forget about injuries. There's going to be teams who just think they're going to start off 20 and 11, but they start off 11 and 20. All of a sudden, they look at the playing tournament picture. If you're in the East, you know, Atlanta and Cleveland and Toronto, these younger teams that are on the come. You've got New Orleans and Sacramento and Minnesota just made a big deal. These playoff spots are not just you can sleepwalk your way into 50 wins and get a spot. So there's going to be teams who decide to trade away veterans. Utah still has Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson. And you go down the list, other folks that are still going to be available. Any team that is not a bona fide contender, any team right now that doesn't think if we're not making the second round, this is an abject failure, which is a lot of teams. There's probably only eight or nine teams from Golden State, Clippers, Denver, Phoenix, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Miami, Milwaukee, that type of core groups. If they're not in that, if you're not a bona fide contender and one small thing happens to you, you are absolutely going to sit down and have a meeting and think, are our chances better for long-term success at becoming a championship team by tanking? Because it's not just Victor. Scoot Henderson, people are very high on as well. The Thompson Twins, I haven't seen, but people talk about them. There's apparently four or five different candidates for that fifth spot right now. So if this is such a deep draft and the changes with the lottery odds were designed to dissuade teams from doing it, but you've actually increased the odds of every team who's not the worst team to get that number one pick. So it actually kind of further incentivizes that January or February shift 
to go be bad. It's kind of crazy. Thank you. The, the moment they said, oh, we're going to flatten those odds, I said, oh, instead of having to race my way to the absolute bottom, I, it's now a much shorter distance to travel from my season isn't going so great to, ooh, great lottery odds. It's just ridiculous. To me, the greatest anti-tanking tool that we have is the plane. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing that has seemed to convince teams to try and keep winning even after their season appears to be in the shitter. Look at New Orleans last year, yeah. Yep, New Orleans is the classic example of that in that at the trade deadline, in a regular season, they would have been sellers. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, there's another one down the tube and Zion's hurting, who gives a shit? And instead they became buyers. They had a strong last kind of third of the season and that ended up in them being in the play-in and that ended up in them being in the playoff and having at least a decent chance of winning. How concerned is the league about that? In that we saw those two games and instantly the conversation became about Ooh, the tank fest. I think the league, from all my conversations over the four years I've been talking about the subject now, the league only cares about tanking when it is a storyline. Well, guess what? <laughs> Wemby is going to be the storyline. Exactly. The tanking is going to be masked by the alien. With OKC doing this year after year after year in a small market that's not supposed to be paying into the revenue sharing system, the league has pretty much turned a blind eye. What the Thunder did with Al Horford and with Shea Gildas-Alexander is far more egregious and far more tanky than anything Sam Hankey's Sixers ever did. They didn't openly sit healthy players or turn a little ankle sprain into a season-ending malady. Sam Hankey did it the right way. He didn't have good players. Exactly. <laughs> Let me just avoid that whole good player conundrum, how to convince people why not to play them. Yeah, good players. Let's not forget about Ish Smith. Okay, moving on. Yep, go ahead. But because it was leading Sports Center at that time, a lot of my work was at SB Nation's Liberty Ballers, and we had access to all the team blog data of traffic, and the Sixers were the worst team in the league, right? But every single week, Liberty Ballers was either one or two or three in traffic. Hope, baby. I mean, not to puff out our chest of the great quality work we were doing at that website. It was the topic. It was the talking point. You know whose fault it is? Whose fault? Pablo Torre. There you go. Keep your third eye open. Pablo Torre wrote a cover story for ESPN the magazine about how Sam Hinkie was so smart. And he coined the phrase, trust the process and all that. Once you give it a name, mm -hmm. now people are invested in that baby. There are tribes in the mountains of Chile and Peru where they don't name their children for the first two years of their lives. Because if you name it, then you get an attachment to it. You get them invested in it. The infant mortality rates are so high there that they can't afford to be attached to it. What Pablo Torre did was he went and he gave that shit a name and put it on the front page of ESPN, the magazine, and the rest is history. Branded it. So to that point and to Tom's point about the alien of it all, if we do have the playing tournament drama that we've had the last couple of years, we're also this year in the East, right? There's like nine teams that really got a shot. And in the West, we've got those younger teams we're talking about who in theory got a lot more talent now. If that storyline is looming larger and it's just Victor Wembanyama and the play-in tournament, I think the league will be fine. But if it's stealing headlines and no one cares about the play-in tournament and fans are out here wringing their hands saying, why are you in the play-in tournament when we want to go get Victor Wembanyama? 
then we could see some eye rolling or some actual activity from Olympic Tower. I like how you said it like a New York City construction worker. Oh, Victor Wembanyama, he's coming to the Knicks. They're not pronouncing Wembanyama correctly. No. Wembanyama. Wembanyama, yeah. Let's get Wembanyama. Where's Wembanyama? That Wembanyama kid. Yeah, I like him. One of my favorite things about living in New York is walking around the streets and hearing people talk about the Knicks in that exact voice. (laughs) The New York Knicks run New York City! Bing bong! Tell me a little something, KD. Don't you regret not coming to the Knicks? All right, so I had a theory that with all the tanking that's going to happen for Scoot and Wemby this year, there's going to be a 70-win team. Could be. There's going to be a team that just falls ass backward into 65, 70 wins. I thought it was going to be maybe the Warriors. They're going to get close to 70 and they're gonna, we're not going to push it. We're not going to try to do the 73 win thing again. But I do feel like maybe the Draymond thing in the long run, maybe it makes them better long-term than it is now. But do you think with all of these teams, Utah, Houston, San Antonio, OKC, that's four Western Conference teams that are just going to be an L. You can circle it on the calendar. Those are going to be L's for those teams. But someone's got to be on the winning side of that. Mm -hmm. Are there teams that are going to be looking at Washington and Charlotte and Portland and saying like, let's arm up because there are going to be spare parts to be had from these teams who want to lose all these games. And maybe there is a Minnesota Timberwolves, a Denver Nuggets, a Warriors team that just blows people's minds and just ends up with like 65 wins this year. There are going to be a lot of teams trying their absolute hardest to upgrade or or move up a a level of the NBA stratosphere where I think the Chris Paul and the Drew Holiday deals happening at virtually the same time the year before Milwaukee and Phoenix ended up meeting in the finals. You know, I think that was a precursor to New Orleans trading for CJ McCollum and Sacramento moving for DeMonte Sabonis. And then you go to the offseason of Minnesota with Rudy and Atlanta with DeJounte, where every team kind of thinks that the title is so wide open or just the overall hierarchy of the NBA is very fluid right now, where you're only one move away from getting to that next level. And a lot of those next levels are contingent with executives and coaches' job securities, right? So they're incentivized there to meet that benchmark or expectation that's coming down from ownership. So I do think there is going to be an aggressive battle to collect up all those wins they can. There are a lot of expectations right now. I've been covering the league for almost a decade now, and I know just like with the 15-pound muscle watch when guys come back, Mm. the preseason expectations, oh, we want to be a first-round team. We want to do this. We want to do that. That's obviously an annual tradition, but anecdotally, it feels like more people I talk to on the team side have the actual belief, not the expectation, the belief that they are finally getting to that next step in whatever the phase of their build is at. And of course, not everyone can be right. So it's going to be interesting. Well, Jake, you're going to be right more often than not (laughs) now that you've got your third eye open here. Mm, Look at that. Got that merch. Had to. Can you explain to the people, the soldiers out there that are listening, what kind of process? Trust the process. I thought we'd change them to citizens because it's the illumination. (laughs) You can enlist or you can just be a citizen. I think you have the option. But Jake enlisted. He's got the hat. I enlisted. (laughs) You know when you're in high school and it's senior spring and you got people from the Navy and the Marines hanging out in the cafeteria with a piece of paper trying to convince some wayward teens to sign up? That was me. 
Jake Fisher from Yahoo Sports. Congratulations on the gig. Congratulations on your new home over at Yahoo. Also, Built to Lose, you can find that at your local bookstore. Paperback. Today, actually. No way! It's like a blessing and a curse, because paperback means it did well enough to have a second version, but also, I don't want to do any more promotion for this whatsoever. <laughs> we'll do it for you. How about that? Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Appreciate our Illuminati soldier. Give me an official title here. Let's go. Lieutenant. I'll take it. Lieutenant Fisher on the show. Thank you so much. profusely from my arm and I don't know why. Did you get sucker punched?